Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783. And uh, be sure to become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Uh, well, this episode of the uh, Sherlock Holmes is brought to you by the great financial support of our listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, today's episode is called The Case of the Well Stage Murder from November 16th, 1947. clothes for men, and 924 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is portrayed by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Miser. And so tonight we make our way through a cold November rain to the cheerful firelit study of our old friend, Dr. John Watson. <laughs> you know, you know, Mr. Harris, I'm surprised and delighted to hear you mention my given name. Everyone, of course, knows that Holmes' first name is Sherlock, but to most people I'm just Dr. Watson. To hear them talk, you might think I'd never been christened. But to draw up your chair to the fire. Feels good to get in out of the wet, Doctor. Only a Sherlock Holmes adventure could lure me out on a night like this. <laughs> That's exactly what I used to say in the old Baker Street days, Mr. Harris. Yes, it brings to mind a case that looked like a neat little murder in Tufnell Park. Too neat, as it turned out. If Holmes, the incurable skeptic, hadn't happened along at the psychological moment... The wrong men would have undoubtedly gone to the gallows and... <laughs> but before we become any further involved in what appeared to be mayhem and sudden death, suppose we do homage to our sponsor's excellent product, hmm? Happy to oblige, Dr. Watson. Every man likes to trade in the leading store in his community, the store that really has its roots in the town, a store run by friendly local people you respect and who respect you. Now, the whole idea behind Clippercraft is to make it possible for you to shop at fine stores like this and get what are acknowledged to be the finest values in clothes in America. The Clipper Craft Plan makes it all possible, concentrating the buying power of 924 leading stores across America, making tremendous savings in manufacturing and distribution costs. At your Clipper Craft dealers, you can buy superlatively fine Clipper Craft suits at only 35 and $40, with a few special numbers at forty-three seventy-five, top coats and overcoats are only thirty to forty dollars. Sport jackets only twenty-four dollars. Clippercraft clothes are so exceptionally fine that we urge you to compare them with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now, Doctor Watson, to get back to the neat little murder in Tufnell Park. Right. As a matter of fact, Holmes and I just missed being eyewitnesses to the shooting. It was a night when the century was very young. A night very much like tonight. Rain with a bit of mist mixed in for good measure. Holmes and I were taking a slight constitutional. You mean you went walking on a night like this for pleasure, Doctor? 
We were out walking, Mr. Harris, to relieve the tension. It had been raining for four days. From Monday to Thursday, I doubt whether it ceased for a moment. When, for the fourth time, after pushing my chair back from the breakfast table, I saw the heavy brown swirl condensing in oily drops on the window panes, I was ready to jump out of my skin. Can't say I blame you. Holmes' nerves were, if possible, in worse shape than mine. He paced around our lamplit sitting room like a caged animal, cursing under his breath in a fever of suppressed energy. Finally, as evening drew in, he proclaimed he was going out for exercise if he had to swim in the gutters. We donned caps and ulsters, and after a certain amount of acrimonious discussion, I persuaded Holmes into his overshoes and muffler. For half an hour, we strolled the streets in silence. Little by little, our nerves relaxed and our pace slackened. By the time we started across Tufnell Park, Holmes was feeling almost a nibble. Nothing of interest in today's papers, I suppose, Watson? Oh, only news of the revolution, a possible war, and an impending change of government. Commonplace, my dear Watson. Yes, the London criminal is certainly a dull fellow. The thief or murderer could roam London on a night like this as the tiger does his jungle, unseen until he pounces, and then evident only to his victim. Well, there have been a few petty thefts. Petty thefts, pickpockets and handkerchief snatches. <laughs> The stage is set for something somber, sinister, violent. Oh, I do wish you wouldn't run on like that, Holmes. At least until we reach the other side of the park. It's, it's uncommonly dark in here tonight. Yes, I was wondering if you'd noticed that, Watson. There should be a street lamp along here somewhere. But either the lamplighter's neglected to light it or... Hello, here's the lamppost. There's glass scattered on the pavement. The light's been put out. <laughs> Watson, you heard that. It, it, it sounded like someone shooting. Let's be accurate, Watson. There were two gunshots. The second, I think, was particularly... Holmes, Holmes, here comes a woman. She's running along the path. She's terrified. Help! Someone, help! Pardon me, madam. Can I be of assistance? I'm Sherlock Holmes. Oh, thank heaven. You're just the man I need. It's murder. Where? Up ahead there. There's an open circular space with a fountain and a new hedge all around. I was walking towards it when I saw a man rise up out of the bushes. He shot at someone sitting on a bench in front of the fountain, and then he disappeared. In which direction? I don't know. Oh, please, please see if the man's hurt. I'll get a doctor. I'll be right back. It won't be necessary. My friend here is a medical man, oh. and judging by your cap and cape, you're not unacquainted with the medical profession yourself. No, a matron at the St. Pancras Infirmary. Excellent. Come with us. We may need your assistance. But shouldn't someone go for the police? Mustn't let the murderer get away? My dear Miss... Uh, Mrs. Sidney. My dear Mrs. Sidney, the first thing is to ascertain if it really is murder we're dealing with. Well, the first thing, Holmes, if you'll pardon my saying so, is to save the victim's life if we can. My dear Watson, for once I agree with you. Come along. Oh, help. Help. help me, I'm shot. Here he is, Watson. Oh. On the ground beside the bench. Holmes, light some matches so I can have a look oh. at him, will you? Good Lord. It's Superintendent Jeffers. His neck. He's been shot in the neck. Yes, I'm afraid it's serious. Matron. Don't you? I'm glad. Have them get me to the infirmary. He's right. We'll have to operate. Hurry, Mrs. Sidney. Tell them to send the ambulance and a stretcher. Robert! Robert! What happened? Oh, Robert! What have they done to you? Nellie. Where were you? 
I waited. I came as quickly as I could. They wouldn't let me off duty. Nelly, never mind that. Go get help. Tell them to bring the ambulance. Oh, no, no. I want to stay with him. And what good would you be? Just a probationer? I'm the one he needs now. For the love of heaven, someone go. We've got to get the bullet out of him. He's bleeding internally. All right, I'll go. I'll go, but oh, please don't let him die. <laughs> I think she's a nurse. What does she know? What does she know about anything? Watson, any more wounds beside the one in the neck? Great Scott, no. That's enough, isn't it? But there were two shots. We heard two shots, Watson. Don't bother me now, Holmes. Can't you see I'm busy? He was sitting on the bench. The bullet entered from the front. The shot was fired from this direction. That's right, Mr. Holmes. The man came out of the bushes from over there. He took two steps, and then I saw the flames spurt out of his revolver. Once or twice? Well, I I don't... Well, that is... Once. I'm sure it was only once. It was George Shotley. Oh, George McGowan. I spotted his cat in the dark over there. Been shadowing me all afternoon. Thought I'd shaken him off. But I wouldn't have kept the the appointment with Nellie. Knew I was in danger. Minute I saw his cat come out of the bush. Did he say anything? Did he threaten you? No. Didn't say anything. Just shot me. What did his face look like as he came toward you? Leave him alone. Can't you leave him alone? That's right, sir. Don't try to talk. Save your things. Here comes the ambulance. Thank heaven for that. It won't be long now. This way. He's in here. We brought the ambulance as close as we could, but the path is much too narrow. Never mind the excuses, Nelly. Bring the stretcher over here. Yes, ma'am. Come on, there. Down, George. That's right, boys, now. Easy, easy. I'll take the shoulders and the head. I brought a lantern. You keep away from him. Done enough harm already. No, no, no. Come on. Carry him to the ambulance. Careful, keep out of step. Oh, his head, you fool. You've got his head lower than his feet. Watson, when you finished operating, be sure to save me the bullet. I'm not interested in adding to your grisly souvenirs. I'm not asking for a souvenir, Watson. I'm demanding evidence. Be sure I get that bullet. shouldn't have said I'd meet him here tonight. I knew old George had threatened Dr. Jeffers when he was released today. Who is old George, Miss Nelly? And what did he have against the superintendent? Well, nothing, really. George McGowan is just a tragic old man who drank too much and couldn't get on with his family. His daughter stood it as long as she could. And then she had him committed. I see. The first few days were pretty bad. He had DTs, you know. And he kept yelling for his revolver to protect himself. Fortunately, Dr. Jeffers had taken the gun away from him when old George arrived. That's when he first took a dislike to Dr. Jeffers. And even after he was better, he went on hating him. Is Dr. Jeffers generally disliked? Oh, no, he's wonderful. That is, well, I suppose he is strict. But you have to be if you're in charge of a place like St. Pancras. You wouldn't by any chance be prejudiced. Well, I... Perhaps I am, just a bit. It's a secret... But, uh, well, Dr. Jeffers and I are engaged to be married. Yes, I gathered as much. Tell me, Miss Nelly, does anyone else suspect this uh, attachment? Oh, no, no, I'm sure no one does. Dr. Jeffers was most particular none of the other nurses should find out. He said it would be bad for hospital discipline. I see. Tell me, what did Dr. Jeffers do with Mr. McGowan's revolver when he took it away from him? Oh, he put it in the safe. That's what they always do with the patient's valuables when they arrive. They're handed back, of course, when the patient is discharged. You say George McGowan was discharged today? Yes, sir, at ten o'clock this morning. Did Dr. Jeffers return his revolver? Oh, no, sir. That was what they had the row about. That and old George's cap. (laughs) 
Hey, there you are. I've been waiting this half hour for me discharge. Well, here it is, George. And how many times do I have to tell you to take that cap off when you're in the house? I'm wearing my bonnet because I'm ready to go. Very well, then. But see you go straight home. No dropping in at any pub on the way, mind you. Eh? Well, what are you waiting for? Have you to give me back my pistol? Don't you think you're better off without it? Uh, who's to be the judge of that? I brought it with me from Grasky. Well, you're not going to get it. If you're going to stand here arguing, take off that dirty cap. It's no dirty cap. It's my fine scotch bonnet. It's the McGowan cotton it is. I've kept it on in the presence of better men than you be. That will do, George. You are not allowed to talk to the superintendent like that. Oh, I ain't, I? Matron, you and your nurses may be daft over this doctor, but you better look out for old George. I'll get even with Mr. Superintendent Jeffers if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> begged Dr. Jeffers to be careful, but he just laughed. He said if a doctor was going to worry about all the patients that took a dislike to him, he'd better give up medicine. Oh, do you think they'll be able to save his life? Dr. Jeffers, I mean. Fortunately, my dear, Dr. Watson is a much better surgeon than he is a detective. Your friend is in good hands. Dr. Watson? Why, then, then you must be the great Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Hadn't you guessed? Well, uh, no. I suppose I was so upset and then the light here is so dim tonight. All I can really see is that peak cap of yours. Yes. Dr. Jeffers says it was Mr. McGowan that shot him. But I suspect all he saw in this light was a Scottish bonnet. I rather imagine that was why the street lamp was extinguished. Of course. Old George hoped to get away without being recognized at all. I wonder. What are you looking for, Mr. Holmes? Confound this rain. It's drowned my match. Well, try another. Here, I'll hold my cape over it. Thanks. Yes, that's better. No footprints on this gravel, confound it. Yes, hello. Here we are, just as I expected. Right here on the ground under the yew hedge. A trifle waterlogged, but still recognizable. Why, that's old George's cap. He must have lost it in the excitement. And look, there on the grass, Mr. Holmes. There's his revolver, too. Don't touch it, whatever you do. Don't touch it. Don't want any unnecessary fingerprints. I'll handle it with my muffler. Good thing Watson bullied me into wearing it comes in useful after all. Although what fingerprints we have are probably badly smeared. The gun has recently been discharged. Yes, only one chamber has been emptied. Interesting, very interesting. But, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Jeffers had only one wound. Quite right. Two shots were fired, however. I heard them myself. But I don't understand. I'm not sure I do either. That is not entirely. But I have a few rather definite suspicions which I shall endeavor to confirm. How will you do that, Mr. Holmes? By means of some experiments with this revolver and with a bullet Dr. Watson is even now removing from the neighborhood of your fiancé's jugular vein. Yes, suppose we get along to St. Pancras Infirmary. I'm counting on you to procure me some rather important information. Anything I can do, Mr. Holmes, anything at all. You can look through the files and get me Mr. McGowan's home address. I think a visit to his daughter is indicated. Let's see, 17 Burberry mules. 17, yes, here we are. Dilapidated little villa. Ah, well... What do you want? Miss McGowan, I presume? I wonder if I might speak to your father for a moment. No, you can't. You needn't be afraid I've come to harm him. In fact, I think if you'll let me talk to him now before the authorities arrive... Once you're too late, Holmes, you'll not be playing ducks and drakes with the law this time. Well, well, if it isn't Lestrade, the super snooper of Scotland Yard. Uh, you can laugh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, but this is one time we don't need your assistance. 
I'm here to arrest George McGowan for the murder of Superintendent Jeffers of St. Pancras Infirmary. You mean to say he's dead? No, but from what the matron tells me, he will be before morning. So I've come to arrest his murderer. Don't you think you may be underrating both Dr. Watson and myself? How so? The superintendent may pull through, and it's just possible McGowan is not the man who shot him. Oh, no? Superintendent Jeffers saw him. The matron says you found McGowan's cap and revolver, a Webley six-cylinder, on the scene of the crime. What's more, I've got the bullet they took out of Jeffers' neck. Possibly. But what makes you think the bullet was fired from that particular revolver? Well, it's the right size and caliber. That's enough for me. Furthermore, the young nurse tells me you made off with the gun and the cap. I'll thank you to hand him over. So sorry, but I can't, you know. Not until I've conducted a few rather important experiments. So? Obstructing the law, that's what it is. You've overstepped yourself this time, Holmes, and don't mistake. I'll have a warrant sworn out for your first thing in the morning. Aren't you forgetting the real purpose of your visit here? What's that? The apprehending of your so-called murderer, Mr. George McGowan. I don't need you to remind me of a duty. <clears throat> now then, miss, tell your father I want to see him. Immediately. Well, you can't. But why not? Because I didn't come home. And if you had the sense you're born with, you'd go and look for him lying drunk in some pub or some alehouse. What would we be in Texas for, I'd like to know? Why didn't they keep him in the hospital till he was cured, eh? And why don't you smart Alex mind your own business? Either both of you. <laughs> it seems Miss McGowan has put us both in the same class. Congratulations, Lestrade. You've been promoted. Uh, you go to blazes. And another thing, you bring that cap and that revolver down to the yard first thing in the morning, Holmes, or I'll see you put behind bars. You've made your little ultimatum, Lestrade, now I'll make mine. You bring that bullet they took out of Dr. Jeffers' neck around the 221B Baker Street before midnight tonight, or I'll make you the laughing stock of London. Oh, that's bluff. Pure bluff. Possibly. Look here, Lestrade. I'll stake my reputation that that bullet was not fired from McGowan's gun. You can bring a warrant with the bullet. If I'm wrong, you can arrest me for trying to conceal evidence. Pretty sure of yourself, aren't you? All right, it's a deal. I'll bring the warrant and the handcuffs. All right, George, the coast's clear. You can come out from behind the rain barrel. Uh, thank you, sir. Where will you be for, for no turning me in? Don't mention it. Oh, just one thing. Tell me the truth, George. Did you shoot Superintendent Jeffers tonight in Tufnell Park? So help me, sir, I don't know. I followed him all afternoon, but it was that wet and roar. I had to stop in now and again for a, a weed wrap. And pretty soon I, I was in a bit of a fog, as you might say. So I don't rightly remember what happened. When, when I come to, I was lying in the gutter with my bonnet gone and my hand here covered with blood. It could be me in blood, sir. I've got a nasty cut over my left eye. Let's hope it is your own blood, George. If it's not, we shall both then end up in jail. Holmes, what in the name of common sense do you think you're doing? Shooting? Yes, that's obvious. I may say it was obvious the moment I turned the corner of Marybone Road. What's the idea of target practice this hour of the night? This is not target practice, Watson. You'll notice I'm shooting into a large cylinder filled with cotton wool. It's a little experiment whereby I hope to convince Inspector Lestrade that Baker Street is more sapient than Scotland Yard. Oh, that, if I'm not mistaken, is the minion of the law in person. Oh, I'll go down. Don't bother, Watson. I told Mrs. Hudson we were expecting a midnight caller. She'll let him in. Yes, 12 o'clock. Come in, Lestrade. Come in, your promptness itself. Well, Holmes, I've brought the bullet. 
And the handcuffs. Fair enough. Now, here, take this chair here by the microscope. Uh, I'll turn the lamp up a little higher. Now then, if you'll give Dr. Watson the bullet he extracted from Dr. Jeffers' neck and allow him to place it under the lens. All right, but no hanky-panky, mind. Oh, really? By the way, Dr. Watson, how is the victim? Did you pull him through? Well, I'm glad someone is interested. I left Dr. Jeffers resting quietly, thank you. Holmes never thought to inquire. My dear Watson, I have every confidence in your medical ability. No, what I'm really curious about is the pattern of the marks on this bullet. Pardon me while I focus the lens. Yes, well, let's see. I thought so. I thought so. He may know what you're talking about, Dr. Watson, but I'm completely in the dark. How about you? I confess, Lestrade, I'm quite frequently in your predicament. But it's all so childishly simple. This bullet could not possibly have been fired from George McGowan's revolver. The bore patterns are entirely different. Oh, what's he raving about? Here, look in the microscope while I explain in words of one syllable. I'm looking. Go ahead. Notice the pattern of lines, falls, and scratches on that bullet. Fix them well in your mind. All right, I'm doing it. A few years ago, Lestrade, I persuaded Scotland Yard to take up the science of fingerprinting. Fingerprints are now recognized as the one sure method of identification. No two sets of fingerprints can possibly be alike. Granted. I'd like to introduce you to the science of ballistics. Oh, what's that? Every gun that's capable of firing a bullet leaves on that bullet a pattern of its own. A pattern that's as individual as a man's fingerprints and as incapable of duplication. Now, Watson... If you'll dig one of the bullets fired from Mr. McGowan's Webley out of that cotton wool. All right. We'll have a look at it under the microscope. Here you are, Holmes. Lestrade, you've memorized the pattern made by the killer's revolver on the bullet. Now, have a look at this one, fired from old George's gun. Well, it's scotch, all right. They're different. Different as night and day. Therefore, the Webley did not fire the shot that was supposed to kill the superintendent, and McGowan is not the potential killer. But look here, Holmes. You just had a look at the second bullet yourself. What made you so sure earlier this evening that McGowan wasn't guilty? Uh, for one thing, the stage was too carefully set. Why was the street lamp extinguished? So Jeffers couldn't really recognize the person who wore McGowan's cap. Why were both the cap and the revolver left at the scene of the crime? To incriminate old George. Fortunately for him, McGowan was the one person who couldn't possibly have fired the Webley because it was carefully locked in the hospital safe. But who could have taken it from the safe? Almost any of the officers of the hospital staff, I imagine. But how can we find out which one? By paying a return visit to the hospital, Lestrade. Whoever fired that shot will be quite chagrined to learn it wasn't fatal. I rather suspect a second attempt will be made on Dr. Jeffers' life in the very near future. Take a good long look before the mirror. If you hadn't seen that Clippercraft label, how much would you say that beautiful suit costs? Well, many, many dollars more than the figure on the price ticket. It's pretty hard to believe you can buy clothes that fit so beautifully. Such long-wearing woolens, such smart styles and superior tailoring at prices so remarkably low. Suits at only $35 and $40, with a few special numbers at $43.75. Top coats and overcoats at only $30 to $40 and sport jackets at only $24. Without the famous Clippercraft plan, it would be impossible. It concentrates the buying power of 924 leading stores across America, gives you the savings that result from group buying at the store you can trust, at your own local independent store. Selling beautifully tailored, expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest independent stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. 
So be sure to visit the Clipper Craft store in your city. The leading stores in the metropolitan area that bring you Clipper Craft clothes are Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th Street, Manhattan, Abraham and Strauss, Brooklyn, the Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark, Newark, New Jersey, and the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue, Jamaica. These great, courteous, and friendly stores are proud to add their names to that of Clippercraft in the label of your suit, top coat, sports jacket, and overcoat. Watson, in which wing of the hospital have they put Dr. Jeffers? He's on the ground floor, over there to the left where the light is burning. Good. The window's partly open. You shall be able to stand behind those bushes and see in without being observed. Come along, Miss Stroud. Oh, I'm coming. Quiet, you two. Here we are. We can see over the sill. The nurse has her back turned. She won't notice. Everything seems to be quiet enough. Jeff has just moved his hand. He's coming out of the ether, I imagine. Color looks good. Quiet, the door's opening. It's the matron. She's coming in with a glass of something in her hand. I brought him some warm drink, nurse. Why don't you go have your supper now? There's a kettle boiling in the pantry. I'll sit with him for a while. The nurse is leaving. The matron's smoothing out the covers. Robert. Robert. Can you hear me? He's opening his eyes. You are going to live, Robert. They saved you. I sought that. I was the one that found you. If it weren't for me, you'd have bled to death. <laughs> you were a fool to throw me over for that young nurse. Matron, life is like that. Couldn't help it. We love each other. Going to be married. Sorry. Don't worry about it. What is to be, is to be. Here, drink this. It'll make you feel better. Jeffers, don't touch that glass. You, what are you doing here? We came back to prevent your making a second attempt on Dr. Jeffers' life and to find out why you made the first. Uh, Watson, help Lestrade over the sill before he strangles himself. Yes, matron, you've just given us the strongest motive that exists for murder. Jealousy. You think you're smart, Mr. Holmes. You can't prove anything. You'll never find my fingerprints on any revolver. And you'll never find the revolver. Mr. Lestrade here knows you can't convict anyone without proof. I think the contents of that glass will prove you tried to murder Dr. Jeffers. Take that glass away from her, Lestrade, quick, before she don't can empty it. No, you don't. Good Lord. She drank it, Holmes. She drank it herself. nothing Holmes or I could do, Mr. Harris. That glass contained a very lethal dose of prussic acid. She was dead inside of two minutes. Good Lord. Tell me, Dr. Watson, when did Sherlock Holmes first suspect the matron of trying to kill Dr. Jeffers? Well, almost at once, or perhaps I should say from the moment we entered the circle of yew hedge that surrounded the fountain. You may not know it, Mr. Harris, but a good English yew hedge is as impenetrable as a brick wall and much more impossible to scale. There was only one entrance to that circle, the one through which the matron ran practically into our arms. No one else could have passed without our seeing him, 
Consequently, no one else was in the circle with Dr. Jeffers when he was shot. It had to be the matron who fired the revolver, uh, who fired the two revolvers, I should say. The one to incriminate George McGowan and the other to do the job. Thank you, Dr. Watson. And now, what is in store for us for next week? Next week? Well, now, let me see. I think I'll tell you how Holmes unearthed a stolen naval treaty that threatened the peace of Europe. It involves a careless young employee of the British Foreign Office, a beautiful lady with a lamp, and a mist-shrouded garden. The makers of Clippercraft Clothes and 924 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in the case of the stolen naval treaty. If you'd like to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clippercraft dealer, and he'll tell you how to obtain your tickets. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clippercraft Code. This is the world's largest network, serving more than 450 radio stations and mutual broadcasting systems. Welcome back. Well, uh, this was not one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I I feel like that uh, in this particular, you know, Sherlock Holmes can be sarcastic, caustic occasionally, uh, but this episode seemed to go uh, even more over the line than normal, particularly when it comes to the relationship with uh, Lestrade. Uh, The Lestrade of this story had a lot less in common with the Lestrade of the books than the uh, dopey police officer stereotype of other 1940s radio programs. Plus, it seemed like in this particular episode that Holmes was going out of his way to be condescending. So hopefully next week will be better. Well, I, also, I did receive a listener comment from Melissa who says, My favorite Holmes episode is the one where Moriarty is in an abandoned house next door to a really bad section of London. Sorry, but I don't remember the name except maybe something about a haunted something. My second is the Red-Headed League. Huh. Well, the only episode we've done with uh, um, Haunted uh, is the adventure of the haunted uh, bag uh, bagpipes. So... But thanks so much for the uh, email. Much appreciated. And if you have a favorite Sherlock Holmes story, particularly from the uh, canon of books and short stories, I'd love to hear from you as well. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Paul comments, uh, Rathbone's Holmes is my favorite of all the shows, but the high quality of the stand show, Stanley shows can spoil a listener. I did not start listening until your second year. Any shows you played early on that were unappreciated uh, gems? Well, if you're talking about Sherlock Holmes, 
the Mercury Theater production. The Immortal Sherlock Holmes is pretty good. And I also like most of the Rathbone Bruce series, with perhaps the exception of those few shows that aired in the spring of 1945, when really they'd just been doing Sherlock Holmes to death, and you could tell that uh, there was a little bit of fatigue on the part of the actors. So I, I guess I should say I'm probably not the best judge of the programs that we uh, place on the show, because the main criteria... Uh, to being played on the show is that I have to uh, enjoy the program. You know, not every episode, but the basic program. And so every show we've uh, played has been because it's got a special place. So if you have any favorite episodes from any of the uh, series, uh, particularly from early on, that might be worth digging into the archives, I'd love to hear from you. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Individual listeners may be better judged than I am. But thanks so much for the question and comments, Paul. Well, we turn now to comments on Podcast Alley. I heard radio plays as I was growing up in the 50s. This series is something I look forward to. Terrific shows and high-quality presentation. Congratulations on the jump in the rankings uh, from Doug. And then finally, we received this one from uh, Allison in Ontario. Uh, uh, fabulous show grams i listen to many of them especially now that i've gotten rid of cable and go online for my entertainment fix when i think of old-time radio i think black and white tv shows but be, to be truthful when i listen to old-time radio i close my eyes and see color really love the writing uh thanks so much allison and i i wholeheartedly agree while black and white movies can be classic you definitely have a sense when you're sitting there watching them that you're watching something old and that's from the past. Now with radio, I don't necessarily get that same uh, feeling because, like you said, our imagination works in living color and I might even occasionally add in something that's an anachronism. And because uh, we're, we're playing the show in the theater of our minds, if anything, it feels like a retro production done uh, today rather than something that's really old. Uh, thanks so much for the comments. Much appreciated. We will be back on Friday with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Join us uh, next Thursday for another episode of Sherlock Holmes. And coming next Tuesday is Candy Matson replacing Rogue's Gallery. If you have a comment, send it to me, Box13 at GreatDetectors.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783. And uh, become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.